When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. This is the Wealth Ability for CPAs show. Better clients, better practice, better life. Here's Tom Wheelwright. Welcome to the Wealth Ability Show for CPAs, where we're always discovering how to build better clients, a better practice, and a better life. This is Tom Wheelwright, your host, founder, and CEO of the Wealth Ability Network. So the IRS is gaining $80 billion more in this new Inflation Reduction Act. What does that mean for you? What does that mean for your practice? Uh, what are the good sides of it? Um, if there are some, and what are the what are going to be the challenges that we're going to have to face? And with me today, I have uh, a, really one of my favorite uh, tax historians, and this is uh, Joe Thorndike from Tax Analyst. Joe, welcome. Hey, it is my pleasure to be here. So, Joe, if you could just remind our listeners uh, what your background is and what you do. Well, uh, I have kind of a one-off background, really, right? I'm a, I am a real historian, <laughs> uh, you know, like the PhD kind of historian, but I have been working in tax for better than 25 years now. I am a editor, a contributing editor at Tax Notes Magazine, where I've been writing columns on policy and history uh, since 1995. I, I, I actually started there in the 80s, believe it or not, right after tax reform. Uh, but I did a little stint in grad school in the middle. So That's awesome. So thank you for joining us, Joe. So um, I, I think a lot of CPAs are quite concerned about this. We have CPAs who have never um, actually handled an audit before, yeah. who are going to see their first audits. Um, but let's first of all talk um, about what the IRS, historically, if you look at this bill and you look at historically what the IRS has done, when they get an infusion of money like this, um, where is it going to go? Janet Yellen says um, that it's going to increase their the rate of phone calls they answer from 15% to 85%. Not quite sure why their goal isn't 100%, <laughs> um, but apparently that is really good for them is to answer 85%. Um, do you think that we will see a significant improvement in service in the IRS? Well, I mean, it would be hard not to, right? I mean, <laughs> there's only one way to go is what you're saying. It's, it's, it's been pretty bad, uh, in, in, especially in recent years. Um, but, uh, the agency has been sort of famously terrible about answering the phone, right? That's everybody's biggest complaint. Now, honestly, people have been complaining about 
the agency answering the phone for decades. But uh, uh, this is uh, the whole new level uh, these last several years. It has been flat out impossible for many taxpayers and their representatives to actually get in touch with the agency um, for long periods of time. And I mean, you know, every any person who's filed their tax returns or has uh, helped uh, a client file their tax returns has horror stories about, um, you know, receiving letters with deadlines that are already passed and, and then spending hour after hour on the phone trying to get someone to pick up the phone. So uh, given that reality, it's hard to imagine that it can't get better. Um, there are also reasons to think that an infusion of money will help. You know, the agency has seen a dramatic decline in the number of employees that it has. And, uh, you know, I, let's see, I, I had some, uh, I had some numbers here uh, in front of me, but the agency, you know, so th like there are excuses that get made and then there are real reasons behind those excuses too. The agency since 2012 has lost like 13% of its staff. It's got like the same number of staff now that it had in 1974, right? Oh, wow. That's like kind of crazy, right? Yeah, <laughs> Just I, the population in the United States is not quite the same as it was in 1974. Right, right. And so, you know, you we, we might, we might want to make legitimate criticisms about the agency and whether it's efficient or effective, but it's simply not plausible that it's going to be able to do a decent job without enough people. Um, so the number of employees fell by 34% between 91 and, and 2020, for instance, and the population rose by 30% over the same period. So there's a good like contrast right there. So um, I think that, you know, given that reality, it's, it seems quite plausible that an infusion of money and, and, the, and the, the hiring that is going to go on around that is probably will improve taxpayer service. And, you know, we can talk about where this money is going to go later on and whether it's going to be for an army of auditors or for something else. And the answer is both. Um, but I think it's reasonable to expect that this is not all bad news, right? This is for taxpayers and their representatives. There is good news here as well as maybe, you know, so frightening news, bad news. I don't know. What do you want to call it? Well, well, you know, to me, this is the Accountant Full Employment Act. So, um, <laughs> you know, if you were ever worried about, uh, you know, how much you can bill, uh, ever worried about getting enough work, I think those worries are over. Um, but on top of that, I do think it's going to reduce some of the frustration of the profession because it's been very frustrating when we have to pay. So there are, you know, there are private services that uh, will get in line for you and you pay them like 400 bucks a month and you can make a phone call and you get connected with the IRS in three minutes. Right. So basically that's what we've been doing, right? right. Is we're paying to get in line and, and, you know, the people who don't, can't do that or don't know about that, they're not getting that, that service. We're hoping that not only will be the, the, the regular phone lines, but actually the taxpayer, um, uh, uh, the, the, the tax, uh, taxpayer professionals hotline. Right. That, which has also been impossible. It's, to get it's been impossible because they've moved those people to processing, right? Yeah. They, move, they move the practitioner's hotline people to processing. And so hopefully they will. So I think that's number one. Now, would I have liked to see more than three and a half billion of the 80 billion go to customer service? Yes. I would have liked to see, you know, 10 or 15 billion uh, go to customer service, although they can do anything they want with that 28 billion. Right. So hopefully right. some of that will also uh, go to customer service. What What do you think about technology? Historically, I mean, this is like, we have the worst technology of probably any industry in the country. It's actually 
it's it's honestly a puzzle, right? Like the agency has been, the IRS has been trying to modernize its computer system since the 1960s, right? <laughs> right? And now we're trying to modernize those systems from the 1960s still. Like uh, it's it's crazy. I, and as a historian, I have looked at this to some degree. And, uh, you know, in the 60s, they're talking about, well, we have, we have computer problems. <laughs> they're really outdated. We don't know what to do. We still have the same systems in place that we had in the in the 70s or whatever they still have they still have program computers programming in cobol right which yep. nobody alive knows how to program anymore uh and they and you know what they were saying that they were making these same jokes about cobol in like the 90s yeah. <laughs> right and now here we are and it's 30 well, years later <laughs> so this is my question so so why are they just putting only four and a half billion dollars towards this. Why not put $40 billion towards this? That, <laughs> that is seriously, that's my biggest question is, okay, we've got three and a half billion going to customer service, four and a half billion going to technology, which I think are the two biggest weaknesses of the IRS. I don't think the biggest weakness is their enforcement. I think the biggest weakness is the other two. Um, and, and yet instead they're putting $45 billion towards enforcement. Now, could they use that for technology? Yeah, but Here's here's the big question. I think this is the elephant in the room, Joe, is have we, and this is a question I have for you as the historian, has the IRS ever before had a mandate to raise additional revenue yes. as opposed to just <laughs> administer the tax law? Yes. Uh, well, I mean, this, so the answer to the, why we're putting $45 billion into enforcement is that improved compliance is a money raiser at least in theory, right? And people have been making that argument for a long, long time. I mean, that argument goes back at least as far as I'm aware, at least until the, to the 50s. And that's when we first have really like a mass-based income tax that millions and millions of people are paying. Before that, the income tax is just a problem for right. people who already have accountants for other reasons. So um, that's the first time that you actually have an issue with real a real compliance issue on a broad scale. So beginning back then, they're already talking about, hey, you know what? If we put money into improving compliance, we'll get more than that investment back. So they start talking about that in the 50s. They've been doing it ever since. I know that when I first got to Capitol Hill uh, in the 80s, they were already talking about using, um, you know, a, a, uh, increased enforcement um, funding as a as a revenue raiser, uh, you know, as a as a way to. Have you actually seen it in a bill before, though? Because this bill actually directs it to directs them to raise revenue and actually includes that in their pricing of the bill. Yeah, I, I can't recall exactly uh, how it's been handled in the past, but I, I think that there have been, uh, for sure, there have been um, budget increases in the past that have been defended in those terms. Oh, yeah. So, 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 but here's here's my concern. It's kind of like if if you're you're the um, city and you say to your police officers, your job is to bring in more revenue, and so your job is to give more tickets because we depend on that revenue to operate the city and where what you'd like to see, at least as a citizen, what I'd like to see is the police officer actually, you know, enforcing the law and right. making sure that the, that, that, that the highways are safe rather than bringing in revenue. And I, I know it's a slight distinction, but I think it's a very important distinction. No, and it's one I... that frankly scares me because of some of the positions the IRS has taken lately about clearly allowable deductions in the tax law and the IRS is just throwing them out in mass. Right. And, you know, when now they have this mandate 
to raise revenue. Will they do that much more of that? That's the big question. I mean, I think that's uh, that's always a risk for any agency that does the kind of work that the IRS does, right? Like because agent, you know, as you said, it goes. It's it's true for police departments. It's true for any regulatory agency that assesses fines. Um, that is just part of government. Um, and, and that's, that's, it's been true of the IRS from the beginning of tax collection. Um, it's, it's certainly been true when they've tried to outsource tax collection, right? And, and that when, when these privatized agencies right. had a monetary stake right. in, in how much they could bring That in. was really bad. Well, and it's been tried over and over again, starting in the 19th century, mm -hmm. they tried it and they, and they're, they've tried it quite recently. So, I mean, there's always that kind of conflict. Um, and, and certainly there are dangers in that. Um, but I, I mean, I, I guess I think at some level we have to depend on, uh, first of all, the law to protect taxpayers and then on the professionalism of the agency. Um, and, and there's no way to, to, to protect yourself completely from those pitfalls, right? I mean, yeah, there are pressures on the agency to bring in more revenue, but there are always pressures on the agency to bring in more revenue, even if whether con Congress directs them to or not. Uh, so I, I just think that that's um, sort of comes with the territory. Interesting. Um, you know, well, and if if they were, if we were, if the tax gap were smaller. Um, let's say that they were, if the estimates of the tax gap were they were collecting 96% of uh, taxes that were due, then, you know, we'd be probably, the danger would probably be greater that they were going to be pushing the envelope, but we're pretty far off from that. Like, where, uh, where, are, where are we right now? Do you know? I mean, estimates vary and I don't know how accurate they are, but the most recent ones I've seen are something like 85%. 85%, um, which actually, by the way, if, if I've done my studies right, is one of the highest in the world. Oh, for, for sure. Um, but it varies quite a bit depending on what kind of taxpayer you're talking about and what kind of income they have, right? Sure. So, so let's talk about that. Let's, yeah. let, 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 let's go to that one because, you know, the, the, the president keeps, keeps saying, oh, no, people under $400,000 are not going to get audits. It's going to people, this, this is going to be the rich people. And I'm going, yeah, but that's not what Jenny Yellen said. Now, Jenny right. Yellen said the proportion's not going to go up, but the proportion already is 90% of the audits are under 400,000. So if that proportion doesn't go up, that means that 90% of this, maybe not 90% of the money, but certainly 90% of the actual audits will still be under 400,000. Because, you know, if you look at the IRS numbers, that's where a lot of the tax gap is, is in that. 100, 200, 300,000 dollar range. Yeah. I mean, so it, it really, you know, where you find the tax gap is not with, well, not with wage earners, not with salary right. people, but right. with uh, small businesses. Exactly. <laughs> you know, uh, anything that doesn't have involved third party reporting, okay. um, you have a much bigger problem with compliance. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be, that. that is where it's going to be. So, look, the reason why the, there are so many audits for non-rich taxpayers. Well, there are a couple. One is that we do a ton of audits for people who receive the, the earned income tax credit. Right. And that's partly because Congress requires it. And it's partly because it's easy for the IRS to do them. All they got to do is send letters. All those audits are done. Well, it's, as it's also easy to commit audits. fraud in that area because well, it's, right. it's money that's coming back regardless of where you, whether you pay tax. Right. But if this, it's easy for the IRS to keep their overall audit numbers high 
when they're right. auditing EITC recipients because they just send out a bunch of letters and they can do that even when the number of auditors they have on staff is dropping. Got it. So those numbers of auditors are dropping. They can't really do the tough audits anymore. They can keep sending out all these correspondence audits to the EITC people. That keeps Congress happy. So it's sort of like Congress and the IRS together conspired to, to audit an awful lot of poor people. That makes the percentages really high of total audits that are done on these people. So whether or not those are, you know, there, there is a reason why you might want to audit EITC recipients, but it's also, it's also, it's also easy. It's also easy for them. It's also serves their own purposes. Got it. Um, so now that's probably not going to be what happens with all this new money because they're going to be interested as we were just talking about in getting some return on that cash. And the best way to do that is going to be to audit people who are higher up the food chain. Now, whether they're over 400 or whether they're say like small business owners who are between right. 100 and 400, you know, that's remains to be seen. Uh, the, the administration says it's not going to be those people. Um, you well, and, and yet we, and yet there was a statistic that I saw, um, I think it goes back to 2019, where there were 250,000 S Corp returns that reported over $100,000 of net income and paid no salary, no wages. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that by itself, it's like, this should be easy pickings here, right? right because right. it's pretty clear you have to pay wages yeah. if you have a, a business. You can't just take it all in distribution. So to me, that would be easy pickings and seems like they had to go to easy pickings. But let's go to that um, more complex because they keep talking about we're going to go after we're going to go after pass-through entities. We're going to go after partnerships, especially. And uh, of course, they started with passing the, the new law so that it's not quite as hard under, as it was under TEFRA in order to audit these partnerships. Mm -hmm. um, but the challenge, of course, is going to be where are they going to find the auditors um, who are sophisticated enough to do this? Because I've been in this business over 40 years. I've yet to meet one who yeah. could audit a partnership. Yeah. I mean, that's always been the IRS's problem. I mean, in recruiting staff for any number of positions. Um, and so we all know it's hard to get, it's hard to hire anybody for anything these days. Right. But it's always been really hard for the IRS to hire people for the, the, the most technical positions that they have because they can't compete with the private sector. And I mean, we can find, you know, uh, complaints from the IRS going back to the 1920s in which they say, man, they're, they're hiring our best people out from under us all the time. And sometimes they come here for a year or two and then they're out the door, especially true for attorneys, actually. They have a really hard time holding on to attorneys because those guys can triple their salaries right. just by walking out the door. So this is always a problem. Um, you know, I, I don't know that you can actually solve that problem. You certainly can't solve it quickly. And it's going to require a ton of training for these guys. It's going to mm -hmm. be, this will be years before they really get people up to speed. Well, so, so, so my question, Joe, is do you think that they'll just go to checklist audits where they, they say, well, you need to meet these requirements else you don't get the deduction. For example, mm -hmm. a lot of flow-through entities hold real estate, right? Mm -hmm. Which will have had a cost segregation taking the bonus depreciation since 2017. It would not be inconceivable that the IRS auditor comes in with a checklist and says, you need to meet these, these rules. And if you don't meet these rules, we're just going to disallow it. Um, similar to what they've done with captives and, and conservation easements and say, well, we're just going to wholesale disallow it, take us to court, which I think is a really challenging issue for those of us in the CPA profession, because we don't, first of all, our clients don't want to go to court. 
Right. They don't have the money to go to court and it's really going to be cheaper for them to pay the tax 90% of the time. So do you think, do you see that as a, as a likelihood like I do? Yeah. I mean, you're in a better position to judge that than I am, honestly. Like I, I, I think that, I, I think that's hard to say. Uh, the, 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 that probably is a bigger issue in the sort of, um, in that income range that we are talking about right now, right? This right. this like sub four hundred uh, like range that the administration swears is really not going to be the focus of this of this new enforcement drive. Um, I don't. I just. I think so. I think that the question there is how seriously do you take that pledge? Um, and uh, because if you don't take it seriously and you think that there are going to be a lot of audits in that range, then it it is. I think. Uh, I, I think I can understand the worry that there are going to be that there are going to be shortcuts. Um, uh, I think that because that I do think is where it's most likely to happen. Um, other, you know, people above that range are going to be less concerned about the prospect of having to go to court. Um, I think, but but uh, although it's it's pretty expensive to go to tax court these days, it, it, <laughs> yes, it runs. Yes, it is. Uh, it runs anywhere from half a million <laughs> to two million dollars to take a case through tax court. So right. It's, 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 it's not a, an inexpensive proposition. Fine no. for, you know, you're talking about big companies, but big companies are audited every year anyway. You know, those are the right. large, large audits and they're always audited. So that's, right. that's not going to change. I mean, they're, that's a hundred percent to begin with. Yeah. Um, so it, it, you're looking at this from uh, a, a different perspective in Washington perspective. Um, you're a, put yourself in our shoes and you're a CPA what what would you do to prepare for this? Hmm. <laughs> oh man, I don't know. Uh, I mean, um, there's definitely. I mean, there's <laughs> so audits have been unusual lately. <laughs> they are going to be a lot less unusual. I think that they yeah. are. It's you know, you said that a lot of uh, a lot of CPAs out there haven't had to really deal with an audit. Um, right. I think that's probably that that that's probably uh, been a, a very comfortable existence that is not likely to continue. Um, I think the chances of being audited are going to rise significantly for most taxpayers in in the years so ahead. What, what what do you see that that rise being? I mean, historically, if you added, I mean, because this almost du doubles their budget, right? So what what would you see? Well, it's um, going to take them a while, though. As it, you it said, will. It's going to take years, three, four or five years, probably. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot that can go on in those three, four or five years. Uh, there's a lot of politics that can change between now and then. And as has been obvious, the Republicans have not let this issue go. Um, tax compliance and, and IRS funding used to be a more uh, bipartisan issue, but it is not anymore. And, uh, and so the, the congressional Republicans have been very hostile to this increase in funding. And I can, you know, I can see it turn around. Look, next year, it's I'm, next year, whatever, two months from now, the Republicans could win both houses of Congress. That could change things dramatically. Um, you know, the IRS funding was cut dramatically under Obama because even when he was president, because there was a Republican Congress. So I guess what I'm saying is I don't know that I would bet the farm on right. this going forward for years. I do think it's likely to go forward for a couple of years, a few years. And um, one thing that I do think is is significant is that 
presidents tend to be supportive of increased IRS funding, regardless of the party they come from. Every president since Ronald Reagan has supported increased funding, including Donald Trump, um, because presidents have a vested interest in it, right? right. <laughs> they, they run the agency and they like to see it bringing in although, money. Although with George H.W., we did get a kinder and gentler IRS and things really did change when he yeah. came out with that. I mean, they were pretty, they were pretty harsh prior to uh, President Bush, uh, number one. And, right. uh, and they became much, it did become much easier to work with the IRS um, after that. But I think in the last few years, because of the funding issues, it's actually flipped the other way. It's gotten more difficult. So I think yeah. a lot of CPAs are looking forward to some of yeah. the new funding. Um, but the question is, is uh, you know, how right. to handle those audits when they come because they will come. Well, so I guess what I'm just saying, though, is that I think that like uh, I do think it's wise to prepare uh, for the reality of an increased uh, audit regime. But I don't think that that's necessarily going to go on forever because the politics of this are far from settled. Um, I, I wouldn't have said that 20 years ago, but I do think that that's true now. And you could see a reversal of this um, uh, pretty, pretty readily, depending on how big politics goes, you know, it's a, this is a live issue still. Interesting. So um, thank you, uh, Joe, uh, where, where would we get more information about you and, uh, and what you do? Um, most of my stuff is at the tax notes website at taxnotes.com, but specifically right. we have a tax history project there that you can find on that website. That's where my stuff is. That's awesome. So thank you so much. And thanks everyone for uh, listening and watching uh, this particular podcast. I, I do believe that um, we are going to get audits and we need to be prepared. Our job is to represent the taxpayer. We do not represent the IRS, despite what sometimes the IRS seems to think. Um, we do represent the taxpayer and we are their advocates. And when we're great advocates, um, remember this is more work. So this is something we should be billing for and billing at, 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 at premium rates, frankly, because it is very valuable work. It can save the taxpayer a lot of headaches and a lot of money. And uh, when we do it, we're always going to end up with better clients and a better practice and a better life. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to the Wealth Ability for CPA show. Better clients, better practice, better life. To learn more, go to wealthability.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>